Our ministry year theme for this year is wherever you go, that God is with us wherever you go. And we are tying in our stewardship, our pledge cards with that theme, wherever you go. Last week, we shared about locally, where is GRX involved with mission? And if you're here earlier in the service, Jen shared about one of those places locally is with City Team. I want to share this week about regionally, where we are involved as a church when we receive tithes and offerings, that the ministry of the church extends not just locally, but regionally and also internationally. And so today I want to show this piece, um, it'll, a video will come up, but it'll show where GRX, where we're involved missionally at a regional level. I was going to zoom down to the uh, King's Academy, going to go right in, well, or, or maybe not. It'll be, uh, so one of the areas that we support uh, is Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition. That's a regional ministry. Um, They actually have office in our ministry center, and we support them by giving them that space, and also they hold trainings and they do work in the area. Bay Area Anti-Trafficking fights human trafficking in our area. Another regional ministry that we participate in is Gleanings for the Hungry. You can see it's surrounded by farmlands. That's out in Danuba, Central Valley. It's near Fresno. This is a youth with a mission uh, center, and they process millions of pounds of food every year, and they send them out to hungry people all over the world. (laughs) And so, yeah, that was really up close for gleanings. But every year, GRX, we send about 30 or 40 people, and we go and we package food which then gets distributed, not just internationally to places of great need, but also even locally. So they send food out and they drive food out all over the place. Anyway, we are involved in the ch- as a church, both locally, regionally, and internationally. And that's some of where our money is uh, given in terms of mission. Next week, let me invite everybody to bring back their pledge cards. Between now and next week, spend some time praying and considering and asking God, what kind of financial commitment would you uh, like to bring to GRX, to God's community here next week? So during offering next week, we'll be receiving these. And uh, we'll also take a little look at how GRX is involved uh, internationally in mission. That's it. Next week, pledge cards. So today, we're going to continue on in our series in Ecclesiastes, Search for Meaning. And today, the uh, title of the message is Mindful of the End. Mindful of the End. Let me just say something about your life and about my life. And this is a little bit of a spoiler alert for how your life is going to end. This is how my life's going to end too. We are all going to die. <gasps> what? <gasps> yeah, we are all going to die. 
Now, now, maybe if you're younger, you're not really thinking about it that much, kind of sitting over here like with the youth. If you're a little older like me and you can see the gray hairs coming out, I'm kind of thinning in my hair up here on top a little bit, you're like, oh, I'm a little closer to that end. But you, me, one of the things that's true is that we're all going to pass away. And that's what we're going to look at actually today. It's all sprinkled throughout Ecclesiastes, this theme of the end. And I have to tell you, originally when I conceived this message, I had this really cheery title. It was called Death and Dying. And I was like, I was looking at that, and up till this week, I actually had called this message today, Death and Dying. But if you've been reading along with Ecclesiastes or been in a life group, you already know that Ecclesiastes is kind of this sort of heavy book. It's kind of a sad book. At different points, it's kind of a downer. So I just kind of thought death and dying was a little too much for us. So instead, I changed it to call it Mindful of the End, right? That's so much more cheery, right? We're mindful of the end. But really, if you follow along with Ecclesiastes, you know that he's been sprinkling this idea through, through all of the things that we've um, been looking at. And so today we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, where it actually focuses more on the end of our mortal lives. And then I'm going to actually offer two reflections on that. Um, But if you know Ecclesiastes, it's got... It's got this idea of the end all sprinkled out. I mean, even back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says this, it's a very famous part. It says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Like four, five, six times, really at the early part of Ecclesiastes, he talks about this. There's a time to die, there's a time to pass away. And so when we now look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And even if you look in your Bibles, sometimes your Bible will have a little subheading. The subheading for chapter 9 is, Death Comes to All. All right. So welcome. If this is your first Sunday at GRX, you're like, oh my gosh, this place is so intense. We're just coming off of Halloween, right? So, you know. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, death comes to all, verses 1 through 6. It says this, we'll read this, then I'll have us consider two things. Death comes to all. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all. Like this is previously, he's talking about what he was looking at, examining the meaning of life. How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. To the good and the evil, the same event he's talking about happens to them. To the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears as he who shuns an oath. I'm going to stop right there and say he's talking about this same event that happens to all these people. The same event. It happens to good people. It happens to bad people. It happens to righteous people. It happens to unrighteous people. The same event happens. 
And what is that same event? The same event is that they all die. That's that's what he's saying here. So he goes on in verse 3 to say this. This is an evil in all that is done under 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 the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. That's what he's saying. We all go to the dead. And then there's a little bit of hope here. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. And let me just say something about this. This is kind of an interesting, um, not very popular Bible verse to memorize. But I was like, this is kind of a cool verse. If you're going to memorize a Bible verse, you could say, hey, you know, a living dog is better than a dead lion. You know, you can use that in like a lot of situations. Yeah. Somebody's kind of bummed out about something. Maybe something happened in your life. And you go, well, you know, the Bible says, you know, a living dog is better than a dead lion. I mean, what is this saying? He's trying to say that there is hope in life. There's value in life. Even if we know that death is coming, there's value in life. We can reflect on our life. That's the value. And what he's trying to say here is that a living dog is better than a dead lion, meaning that it is better to live humbly, and a dog is more humble. It's an advantage to live humbly than being royally dead. The lion is is a symbol of royalty, is power, but to live humbly is an advantage over being royally dead. Because as living people, even though we know we're going to death, we can still reflect on death. We can still reflect on that. And then the last two verses say this. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. All right, so I'm going to end the Bible reading here. But chapter 9, 1, 6, death comes to all. And so that's our life, right? That's what Ecclesiastes is trying to encapsulate. What's our life? What's the meaning of life? That Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is the life spoiler alert that we are all going to die. We're all going to die. So given that, let me offer two reflections this morning about that. And if we could bring the next slide up, please. We're going to offer two reflections on that. That number one, death can give us greater meaning in life. Because we all know that we're going to die. So death can give us greater meaning in life. And number two, we do not have to fear. We do not have to fear death. I'm going to reflect on that a little bit. So number one, death can give us greater meaning in life. Let me say that all of us, have had an experience with death, with passing away. All of us. And a question that I'd like you to consider this morning is this. When has an experience with death given your life greater meaning? Could I have the next slide, please? When has an experience with death given your life greater meaning? 
Because all of us have had an experience where we've lost a loved one. A parent or a grandparent, a family member. Maybe in your life you've lost a close friend or maybe someone that was a mentor to you, a teacher or a former pastor or a leader. In the past, um, you guys have heard me share a little bit about Evelyn's father who passed away this past summer and a lot of reflecting about what is a life, what is death, what does that mean. So um, all of us, I believe, have been touched in different ways. Um, Let me invite Susie to come forward because um, Susie shared something with me about her experience um, reflecting on her grandfather. And so what I've asked Susie to do is if she would be willing to share that uh, experience and that story with you. When has an experience with death given your life greater meaning? So, Susie, thanks for coming. Am I just going to share the whole thing, or do you have questions? Uh, well, why don't, you, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and get going, okay. and then if there's a question or two, I, maybe to bring out sure. um, the um, story. Okay. Um, I'm sharing about my grandfather, and he was probably the most, um, the person that impacted me the most, um, his death impacted me the most when it comes to death and dying, and um, he died when I was about seven or eight, and um, after his second stroke. Um, But in that short time that I've known him, I didn't like him that much uh, because uh, um, my memory of him was basically when I went to my grandmother and grandfather's house. Um, he was always the one that was telling us to be quiet, to yell, uh, to like stop yelling. Um, he was always kind of nagging my grandmother and kind of verbally abusive. And, and so I just remember thinking like I didn't like him that much. And um, I always felt bad for my grandmother, um, who I had a really great relationship with. And um, he wasn't a believer. And so it just made that. And the rest of our family went to church. My uncle is a pastor of our church and things like that. So it was a really tough um, kind of environment. And, um, yeah, it just my memory of him was not that great. And to be honest, like, uh, after he got sick or he got his first stroke and he was in a wheelchair, he was even more curmudgeonly. He was very, like, uh, yeah, I guess he had to depend on my grandmother a lot, and she was very patient with him. Um, but, you know, my memory of him or what I knew of him was that he would, you know, throw out her Bible and burn her Bibles and Bible study things and just nag her, and it was just hard for me to see that kind of marriage and how, why she would, you know, stay in that, Um, and she was really faithful, and, um, you know, our family prayed for him, but uh, let's see, after, after his second stroke, he got into a coma, and he was in the hospital um, for quite some time, and you know, we would do our usual family visits, which we would do. I wasn't super excited about that, but, you know, like, it's like what families do. Um, 
And, you know, I think it was more of like, okay, he's going to pass. It is what it is. But I wasn't super sad about it. I just knew, you know, he's old. He got sick, you know, and that's that. And um, I think I just remember um, kind of in my short time with him, because I knew death was, you know, imminent, um, I did fear death a lot. It was just kind of a scary notion of, like, what happens afterwards, and is it going to hurt, and, you know, like, seeing my grandfather in a lot of pain and so angry all the time, it just was not something I wanted to experience at any point. So I was kind of prayed to God and said, you know, I hope I die in my sleep so I don't even know, like, it happens. And I was doing this when I was really young, so I was just very scared about this idea of dying. And, um, and then my grandfather passed away. We had his memorial service, which I don't even remember if I cried. I just didn't know how to accept that and I said okay that's what it is he's dead Um, and then I went to sleep and that night when I went to sleep I had this really interesting dream Um, and my grandfather was dressed in this white robe and he was in the sky and um, lots of clouds and there was this escalator my grandfather was on this escalator, cloud escalator thing, and going up, and I was bawling, which is weird, because I don't think I liked him that much, so I don't know why I was crying, Um, but then my grandfather was like, don't worry, I'll see you in heaven later. I was like, okay, you know, and I woke up, and I was like, all right, and I told my mom that, and, and that was that. I was like, okay, I just told my mom this thing, grandpa's on it, you know, grandpa's on an escalator. <laughs> and um, she said, like, oh, okay. And, um, and a couple of years later, I did end up, you know, accepting Jesus as my personal savior, but it did take a couple of years for mom to share about her experiences, my grandfather's passing. And she had told me that she had, um, you know, whenever we visited the hospital and he was in his coma and non-responsive, Um, she would be praying for his salvation. And it was just really tough because he was non-responsive. He actually passed away that way. And, um, but she remembers, I think the night before he passed, praying for him and she swore she heard him say amen. But when she opened her eyes, you know, there was no indication that he had actually come out of his coma. And, um, so for her, it was just this really strange sense of peace knowing that somehow God was able to use that moment to of uh, um, my dream sharing with my mom as well as her praying to kind of say, you know, he's with me. And so it was, um, it was really strange because I didn't like my grandfather and yet God used him to completely put me at ease about this really mysterious thing called death and what that means. And so I'm very grateful because I think if my grandfather had his own way, he would, spe- he would have spent his dying breath just taking down Christians 
you know, and wanting to make Christians and people who believe in Jesus um, miserable. And God used his dying breath to bring my mom confirmation as well as me to my faith. So that's my experience. Thanks, Susie. Thank you for sharing. So. so in your life, like what the question says on the board, when has an experience with death given your life greater meaning? So let me leave you with that and then move into this second reflection that even though death can give us greater meaning in life, we do not have to fear. We do not have to fear. And our primary assurance comes from Jesus Christ. When we were looking at Revelation, there's powerful imagery of Jesus Christ talking about life and death and the power that he has. This one verse, Revelation chapter 1, 16 and 17, this is Jesus speaking. He says, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And listen, these are words of Jesus. He says, I have the keys of death and Hades. He's got the keys. He's got the power. He has the authority. He has the power over death itself. And if you think about even the life of Jesus, that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he goes before us even through death itself. Because Jesus Christ, he moved from life to death on the cross into eternal life. And that is the same journey that we are on as we follow Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So when we anchor our lives in Jesus, we recognize that death, even though it comes to all, it's not something that we need to fear, but our assurance is rooted in Jesus Christ. Now to further illustrate this, I want to pull something um, that shows up, and in a little bit, I'm going to show you guys a, a movie clip. It's from a movie that's a little bit older now. Um, it's a movie called Wit, starring Emma Thompson. But I have to set it up, I have to sort of frame it for you because it's, it's based in some poetry. And so the movie has a main character in it, Emma Thompson, and she's an expert in poetry, sort of 16th, 17th century poetry. And particularly, there's a poet that shows up and his name is John Donne. And so if, if you're an English lit major out there, you know, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but you study a lot of English, maybe you've run across this guy. But John Donne, he's an English poet, lived uh, like 1500s, 1600s. This guy was actually also part of the Church of England, so he was an Anglican priest. And in addition to leading religious services, he wrote a lot of poems. And he's famous for a set of sonnets or a set of poems called the Holy Sonnets. And it's in these set of sonnets, these poems, that he grapples with life and death 
and understands a lot of his poetry is coming out of um, his understanding of Scripture and of God. One of his most famous poems is one of these poems that's called Death, Be Not Proud. And I'd just like to share a couple of lines with you. I'm going to share the first two lines and then the last two lines of this 14-line sonnet. And he's actually having sort of this dialogue with death. And death is sort of seen as this mighty and powerful thing. But he's like, you know, it, it's, not that, it's not that big of a deal. So the, the poem opens like this. He says, death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. And he's talking to people who fear death because death seems so powerful, so finite. And he's like, you know, death, you think you're mighty, you're powerful, but you're not. You're not all that. And then he goes on. It's a really beautiful sonnet. But then the sonnet concludes with these last two lines. It says, one short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shall die. The idea that at death, even death itself shall pass away. It's a beautiful poem. Now, now as you can imagine, there's a lot of different versions of the poems floating around out there. And there's actually a different version that the movie will actually talk about. And it actually seems, the, the movie will talk actually about an alternate version of the poem with alternate punctuation, where it talks about how much of a struggle there is with death. And death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. And that's a different interpretation of the way that this poem ends. It's going to show up in the movie clip. Let me say this one last thing about the character Emma Thompson. Though she's a professor of poetry, the story picks her up as grappling with death itself. She has stage four cancer. The scene will be her in the hospital, already diagnosed, and it will be a bit of a flashback her in the hospital, but her flashing back to a time when she, Vivian, was a student and she has a professor and they talk about this poem. And so with that, if we could show this clip, Emma Thompson uh, in Wit. I have cancer, insidious cancer with pernicious side effects. No, the treatment has pernicious side effects. I have stage four metastatic ovarian cancer. There is no stage five. Oh, and I have to be very tough. It appears to be a matter, as the saying goes, of life and death. I know all about life and death. I am, after all, a professor of 17th century poetry, specialising in the holy sonnets of John Donne, which explore mortality in greater depth than any other body of work in the English language. And I know for a fact that I am tough. A demanding professor. Uncompromising. Never one to turn from a challenge. That is why I chose to study John Donne while a student of the great E.M. Ashford. 
Oh, yes. Your essay in Holy Sonnet 6, Miss Baring, is a melodrama with a veneer of scholarship unworthy of you. To say nothing of done, do it again. Oh, I... Begin with the text, Miss Baring, not with a feeling. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. You've entirely missed the point of the poem because I must say you've used an edition of the text that is inauthentically punctuated. In the Gardner edition of the text... But that edition is checked Mr. out of the life, sorry. You take this too lightly. This is metaphysical poetry, not the modern novel. The standards of scholarship and critical reading which one would apply to any other text are simply insufficient. The effort must be total for the results to be meaningful. Do you think that the punctuation of the last line of this sonnet is merely an insignificant detail? The sonnet begins with a valiant struggle with death, calling on all the forces of intellect and drama to vanquish the enemy. But it is ultimately about overcoming the seemingly insuperable barriers separating life, death and eternal life. In the edition you chose, this profoundly simple meaning is sacrificed to hysterical punctuation. And death, capital D, shall be no more, semicolon. Death, capital D, comma, thou shalt die, exclamation mark. If you're going for this sort of thing, I suggest you take up Shakespeare. Gardner's edition of the Holy Sonnets returns to the Westmoreland manuscript source of 1610, not for sentimental reasons, I assure you, but because Helen Gardner is a scholar. It reads, And death shall be no more, comma, Death thou shalt die. Nothing but a breath, a comma, separates life from life everlasting. Very simple, really. With the original punctuation restored, death is no longer something to act out on a stage with exclamation marks. It is a comma, a pause. In this way, the uncompromising way, one learns something from the poem, wouldn't you say? Life, death, soul, God, past, present. Not insuperable barriers, not semicolons, just a comma. Life. Death, I see it. It's a metaphysical conceit. It's wit. I'll go back to the library and It is not night. wit, Miss Baring. It is truth. The paper's not the point. Isn't it? Vivian, you're a bright young woman. Use your intelligence. Don't go back to the library. Go out. Enjoy yourself with friends, hmm? I um, went outside. It was a warm day. I uh, there were students on the lawn, talking about well, nothing, laughing. Simple human truth. Uncompromising scholarly standards. They're connected. I just couldn't. Death is a comma, a breath, 
You could even say something like smoke or hevel or meaningless. At the point of death, death itself shall die and eternal life begin. One of my heroes is a German pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor at the time of World War II uh, under Nazi Germany. And at the time, he opposed uh, Hitler and Nazism. And for that, he was executed. And in April 1945, when he was being led away to be executed by the Nazis, um, he turns to a fellow prisoner and he says this, this is the end for me, the beginning of life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, April 1945. We need not fear death. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me offer a couple of things just for you to take home. And this is the last slide up here. Mindful of the end. Mindful of the end. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Spoiler. We're all going to die. We talked about. Number one, that death can give us greater meaning in life, knowing that we're all going to die. When is experience for you giving you greater meaning? Number two, we do not have to fear. Death itself is just a comma. We have an eternal life secure in Jesus Christ. And then for you to just think about, maybe in your life group or maybe a discussion sometime this week, or maybe you just want to reflect on this. For you, when has an experience with death giving your life greater meaning. Because Ecclesiastes is wanting us to think about this. As we search for meaning, it's worth examining. Has an experience of death given you greater meaning? 